Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today we have a special Palm Sunday sermon from Pastor Mark Foreman. Boy, weren't the strings amazing and the worship team? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, there are strings and then there are strings. And those were strings, you know. Wow, wow, and what a wonderful name to sing, Jesus, Jesus. I want to talk to you about Jesus this morning, a great idea in church. Um, If I could hold up uh, a metric or a measurement, uh, some kind of a gauge on you, uh, what I would be able to do is measure the value you have in the person of Jesus. I mean... Kind of thank God nobody can do that, right? Because we can all sing together, and we don't know. Like, if if you value the name 2%, and they value it 98%, we're just all valuing Jesus. But we just don't know comparatively uh, what's going on. But nevertheless, uh, it's true. Jesus is valued differently. This last week, I was... uh, asked to give an invocation to a uh, San Bernardino, excuse me, San Bernardino, wow, I have that on my brain, I was just talking to someone from there, uh, San Diego uh, County event, and I always love it when God is invited to a uh, metropolitan event that in an increasingly secular country, uh, is God still invited, you know, and so if God's invited and I, I show up, uh, to pray. An invocation is, is a prayer. And um, as I'm looking at the crowd, I realize that it's, it's a vastly different crowd. You know, there's some people there that they know me and they're going, yeah, I know you. I'm so glad. And they're giving me the eye. I'm so glad you're here. This is so cool. You're my pastor. And then I look at other people and, and they're frowning at me and like, what in the world is a pastor doing at this secular event? You know, like, get it over with, or they're giving me the sigh or the rolling of the eyes, you know, just letting me know. Uh, and then in between is just usually the rest of us, it, not even thinking about it. Like, whatever, you know, I mean, we have, we have the national anthem, we got Miss Carlsbad, and we've got... Uh, and we've got a pastor, and they're all just doing their civic duty, and they don't even think about what's really going on. But my point is that everyone has a different value when it comes to God, right? So what is that? We've been worshiping here, and I want to talk to you today about worship. It's appropriate for Palm Sunday, right? Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, The people, the crowd worship Jesus. But we've been talking about worship all the way back to last week with Stephen's message to the, the chief priests and the Pharisees about worship. Worship is something, this may surprise you, is something that everybody does. Did you know? Everybody? Yeah. Even the atheist worships. Uh, Paul Tillich wrote about this in the last century, that 
Every single person, secular, sacred, doesn't matter, has an ultimate concern, and they build their lives around this ultimate concern, and that is their belief system, and they live a life that gives worth to whatever that is. You with me? We tether our lives around that. More recently, David Dark wrote a book about everything is religion. This isn't just this or this. Everything is religion. Religion is just simply a belief system. And yours may include God. It may not include God. The point is you have a belief system, and once you establish the belief system, you begin to give worth to something or some things. And if you wanted to know what you give worth to, give me your checkbook. If you want to know what you give worth to, give me your calendar. If you want to know what you give worth to, give me your circle of friends. And I can determine what you worship. The word worship comes from the old English word worth Skype, which means to declare value. In the, in the final book of the Bible, Revelation, there are the heavenly beings declaring worthy, worthy, worthy. And we see that and we say, oh, what a great worship service going on in heaven. But what they're really saying is value, value, value. So in this little intro, what I'm really doing is trying to get you business people on board with worship. Because you business people say, well, the, those are the creatives. The creatives are always just kind of like, woohoo, you know, and we are living in the real world where we got a ledger and a spreadsheet and we are determining value. No, worship has a spreadsheet. We determine worth. So are you ready to talk about on Palm Sunday, worthship? Let's do it together. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your holy word, that you'd make your word come alive to us, that you would change us, that you would reboot us, you would uh, orbit our lives around you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So right out of the gate, verses one through three of chapter 12 of the Gospel of John we read about ultimate, extravagant worship. Verse one of chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, everybody's doing their typical roles. Martha served while Lazarus laid around, uh, reclining, at the table, and Mary, the one who sat at Jesus' feet, is she is off planning something very devotional, full of worship. She took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, that's a lot in these three verses. Jesus comes to Bethany. Bethany was the town that Jesus seemingly always stayed in, probably this house when he visited Jerusalem. 
A male Jew would visit Jerusalem three times a year for each of the festivals. It's like a, a two, three-day walk down from Nazareth. He would arrive, and it seems like he always was staying at the household of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, these siblings. My guess, it's not in Scripture, but this is my hunch, is that Jesus grew up staying at this house, that probably Joseph and Mary were friends with the family. They stayed, could have even been distant relatives. They stayed with them. And so when Jesus starts his ministry and he's coming down with the disciples, he still stays outside of Jerusalem in this two-and-a-half, three-mile-away home in the suburbs of Jerusalem. And so there he is again. He is staying at their house right before Passover, and uh, it reminds us who Lazarus is. He's the one Jesus raised from the dead. Now, when you read something like that in Scripture, you can either just say, well, that didn't happen, or you say, whoa. Raised from the dead? Anybody else been practicing that lately? I mean, that's noteworthy. Jesus raised from the dead. And here a, a dinner was given in honor of Jesus. Martha served and Lazarus is reclining at the table. What you have to picture as they're reclining at the table is a table that is about 18 to 14 inches high off the ground. And there's pillows, stuffed pillows all around the table, and the men are reclining, uh, leaning on their left elbow and using their right hand, no utensils to, to eat with, and just using what we would call today pita bread and to scoop up whatever they're scooping and eating. I've often wondered, uh, wouldn't your left arm go to sleep? <laughs> you know, I don't know how they, because they, they would just need to say, shift, and everybody now <laughs> go to the right side. But when you read in the, in the Last Supper that John the Beloved was leaning on Jesus, now you understand. They were reclining. Um, the, the painting of the Last Supper misses the point because he has them all sitting on chairs as they would in Europe. So that's the setting. It's in the honor of Jesus, maybe secondarily in the honor of Lazarus coming back from the dead. By the way, I probably one of the few people have been to both of Lazarus' burial sites. You know, he died twice. Uh, you've been born again. He was dead again. He died. Jesus raised him from the dead. He, as a Christian, uh, we know this through church history, he traveled to the island of Cyprus evangelizing, and he died later on again in Cyprus. So you can go to his tomb there as well. Fun little thought. So in the midst of this celebration, this feast, now Mary does something extraordinary. She goes to her room, and she has something there that's very costly that she has been saving up for a moment like this. Jesus increasingly over the last year has been talking about the fact that he's going to die, that he is going to pay the ultimate price for the sins of the world. 
The disciples haven't really understood this. Even Peter has tried to get Jesus to stop talking so negatively. And, but Mary and, and a group of women who followed Jesus, Mary has heard and understood that he is going to die. And she's planning on using this expensive perfume as a parable or a prophetic moment for Jesus' burial. So the party's going on, and she retreats to fetch this bottle of perfume. Now, you need to know about this bottle of perfume. I am not a fan of most perfumes. I'm highly allergic to a lot of perfumes, and my poor wife is restricted to three. Uh, you know, that's just, just who I am. And I, when I'm on an airplane, you know, and I'm blessed with the person right next to me, uh, who enjoys their perfume. Sometimes it's guys. I don't know what it is about guys and English leather. You know, it's just like, it, it, if one drop is good, uh, splash shower in it, you know? And uh, so they come in splashing their face and everything else, and I'm just like, whoa, this is gonna be a long trip. So uh, I want you to think about that because we're about to see that the perfume invades the whole house because of what she does. So this perfume in the scripture here, the Greek word is nardos, not nerd, but nardos. And nardos, or sometimes called spikenard, was a perfume that came from India, all the way from India over the caravans. And this is how it was uh, extracted. This perfume comes from a grass that grows in India. So they have to squeeze out. There's these little elves that squeeze out all the drops of oil out of the grass blades, collect it. Once it's collected, they, they reduce it into a solid, like a bar of soap, so that it can travel uh, on a caravan. And then once it arrives at its destination, it's refined and brought back to a liquid again and bottled and sold. Wow, that's a lot of work, but that's not the biggest thing. The value of the perfume that she has in the bottle is valued at a year's wage. Now, usually what we do is say, oh, well, that doesn't cost much because back then everybody made a penny a day. So it's like, you know, whatever it is, $3 and some odd change because they only made a penny a day. No, you have to fast forward it to the 21st century and say, well, what does a person make today for a year's wage? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you work for In-N-Out Burger and you're hired at the entry level of $13 an hour, and now you've worked for a year or two, and now you say, wow, I've got a raise, and now I'm making $15 an hour, and you multiply that by 40, and then you multiply that by 52, you come up with... A, approximately $31,000 that you will make for the year. So now, I think most of you probably make more than that, I would dare say, but now say that's what the perfume is worth. A year's wage. Would you spend it on Jesus? Well, maybe on a Toyota Prius, but I don't know about Jesus. That's a lot of money. 
What what are you suggesting? The question is, is he worthy? Is would we worship him the way Mary worships him? She expresses value. So she barges in with this room and of men and she risks embarrassment, she risks shame, she risks judgment because she is judged by somebody. Uh, and, and she doesn't care because Jesus has changed her life and he's worthy. And she comes in and heads, not for his head, but his feet. Her best for his least. Got it? I dare not touch his head. I dare not touch his hands, his arms. I'm only worthy to touch his feet. And she takes her best, her hair, which is the honor and pride of a woman in those days, and washes his feet with her hair and dumps all the perfume on his feet. We don't have anything like this today. I mean, think of it. We're going to worship. Worship's over in 18 minutes. Sing some good songs. All right, let's move on and, let's, and we'll sing again next week. Well, you and I mostly know that worship is more than singing, right? It's a lifestyle, and Paul talks about that in Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, where he talks about that, that we, our very lives, are a worship service that's going on. So it's not only when I sing, but it's how I love you and how you love me that's worship, because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me, and here's my command love one another. It's how I listen to God and do what he asked me to do that is also worship. It's not just in the singing. But for her in this moment, she costly loves Jesus in an exorbitant way. She's essentially saying, Jesus is my treasure. Right? Jesus, her Lord, had taught Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So worship is essentially the spending of your heart. It's where you and I spend our heart. And she's spending her heart on Jesus. Jesus taught us this amazing story. He said that there was a man that was walking through a field, and as he walks through the field, he discovers there's a treasure in the field. Does anyone else know about this treasure? How much is the field worth? The field is worth X, but the treasure inside the field is worth a thousand times X. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sell everything I have to buy the field so I can obtain the treasure. And he says, so it is with the kingdom of God, that you and I see ultimate value in Jesus, the treasure, and we sell out to obtain the treasure. Wow, what a story. By the way, parenthetically, most people have never thought about the ethics of that. Uh, Should you disclose to the owner of the field that he has a treasure there, and and now you're just thinking too deeply. Just welcome to my psychosis, but uh, just forget about that. Jesus tells us that when you value something, you express worth. Ship. So that's Mary, someone that we just say, wow, I want to grow up and be like Mary. 
Then there's Judas. Can everyone hiss when you hear the name Judas? Uh, most people don't name their sons Judas. It's, it's considered bad luck. So we, we read in verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Of course he did. The betrayer objects to worship. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. You know, oftentimes we object to different things. You know, I'm not given to that. I'm not given to that. I'm not given to that. As if, you know, those causes are not worthy of us. But we really have to be honest and say, well, is it because the cause is not worthy or is it because I'm greedy? I'm just not giving my money. Well, Judas was greedy. And so Jesus defends Mary and says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You have the poor with you always. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. On account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So now we have the contrast, not only with Judas, but at the end of the paragraph, the chief priests, who are all anti-worshippers. Jesus is not worth. He's not worth following him if he's going to go to the cross. He's not worth, uh, certainly, this perfume and Jesus says, no, this was to protect, he protects Mary to say that this was for my burial. So if you and I came up like a submarine and we surfaced and say, well, so where am I in this? Uh, am I a Mary? Am I a Judas that just says, I don't think he's worth it? Um, you know, let's not get radical about Jesus. Let's not be fanatical. I mean, all he is is the son of God. I mean, let's think, you know, we have a life to live. All he did was die for our sins. We have a life to live. All he did was rise from the dead to give us new life. Come on, let's stay low and not overemphasize Jesus. Well, with that answer, I would ask the question, but you do value something. What do you worship? Everybody worships. Have you ever heard about the monkey and how to trap a monkey? Anybody interested in that? Well, I, I've heard pastors talk about this for years, and I decided to Google it and think, is this really for real? You know, pastors would say the way you catch a monkey is you put something valuable in a bottle uh, where his hand can fit in, but once he has the valuable thing in his hand is his fist can't get out of the bottle and he's not bright enough to figure out, let go of the thing uh, to get his hand out of the bottle and run away and you run over and you trap the monkey. And I just thought, ah, this sounds like a pastor's story. So I looked it up and uh, sure enough, only now you can see it on film, YouTube. 
So, you know, this is the great thing about technology. And so I'm watching this quasi-baboon uh, watch this kind of Bushman-looking guy that, that walks over and puts something special in this uh, termite mound. And he's dug a hole uh, just the right size for the monkey to put his hand in like this. And, and then he runs over 40 feet and stands behind a tree. And the baboon can see the guy. It says, it's, it, and he keeps looking at the hole, and it's killing him. What did he put in there? What did he put in there? And finally, he walks over, and he puts his hand in the hole, and he grabs a hold of, I don't, in, in the film, it looks like marbles or something. I don't know what valuable thing it was. The monkey will not let go. He sees the bushman coming over to grab him, and he's got his, his leash, and he's going to trap the, the monkey, and the monkey's going crazy, flipping upside down, but he won't let go of what's in his hand, and the guy catches the monkey. I said, it's true, <laughs> but here's the kicker. It's true of humans. It's true of you and me. I know this is killing me. You want another piece? <laughs> I know. I, I, I should exercise more, but who wants to exercise? I know that I should save money for this, but this is so much fun. And I know that we're just like the monkey, right? We determine things to be of worth that aren't worth a hill of beans, I'm just as guilty as you. And you have this, not bag of money, but you have your heart. And you're spending your heart on, on what isn't going to satisfy you. The thing that I think of most when I think of something that's not satisfying is cotton candy. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Every year at the fairgrounds, I see these people walking around with this pink cotton candy. And I'm, my eyes just pop out like this. I, need, want, worth. And, uh, and so I buy it for my grandkids because I would never have any, and then I eat it all. And, and every bite, it's so unsatisfying because it's this thing that looks like, oh, yeah, and it's gone once you put it in your mouth. And you keep doing this, and it's just, you're getting thirsty, and you're getting sticky, and finally you just take a wad, and you roll it up into a ball to make it more substantive. Now it's going to really count. You put it in your mouth, and it still dissolves, and it's gone, and at the end of the day, you're nothing but a sticky mess, right? How many things in life are like that? I'll be so happy once I have, once I do, because it's worth what I'm going to spend. So we come to the end of the story, and it's about the crowds and the disciples. Mary has shown her worship. Judas has shown his lack of worship. But now we come to the parabola, the great bulk of you and me, where we're just kind of deciding and discovering who Jesus is. We haven't figured out that he's, he's going to die for my sins. We haven't figured out how great he is and he raises from the dead. It's just, I think he, he might be the son of God. I think he might be the Messiah. 
So the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This is the Sunday morning. The party was Saturday night. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. And that's kind of the equivalent to God save the king. It has that ring. It's not only a praise, but it's, it's a political statement as well that we think you're the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel, all from Psalm 118. And Jesus finds a young donkey and he sits on it as it is written in Zechariah. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. After Jesus was glorified, they, it, they did realize that these things had been written about him, that these things had to be done by him. And so now the crowd that was with him, when, they, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's a great statement because they realize, oh my gosh, it's getting out of control. Everybody is starting to believe in him. Now, we're not to understand that they understand Jesus to have the worth that Mary saw because once Jesus, uh, things go south for Jesus on Friday, the same crowd is yelling, crucify, crucify. So there's just this cursory beginning kind of understanding to be happening in terms of Jesus, but they're singing Hosanna to him and declaring his word. Now, just a word about the donkey. Most of us have thought, wow, Jesus, class act. You know, forget the white steed, go for the donkey. Shetland pony style, you know, just a statement of humility, right? Well, that's actually not true. Sorry to pop your bubble on that, but in the Semitic culture, when you, you conquered and you were returning to your home city, your kingdom, the king would come riding on a donkey, meaning I'm not coming in war, I'm coming in peace because I won the war, I won the battle. So Jesus fulfills Zechariah coming not just on a donkey, but the cult of a donkey, meaning I am the super king of peace. I come to you in peace as your king. So he's not uh, doing anything incognito in disguise. He is really declaring publicly he is the king of the Jews. This is the one day that he does it. And they all declare worth. They worship. So let me see if I can land this plane. Uh, Palm Sunday, great Sunday about worship. Palm branches, everybody declaring wor uh, worship for Jesus. But most of us would say, well, you know, Mary, I, Mary's the ideal. I want to be like Mary, but maybe I'm not there yet. And most of us would say, I'm, I definitely am not Judas. I'm not anti-worship Jesus. But I'm somewhere in the crowd 
discovering his worth, and I want to grow more in discovering his worth. I want to be that person. How does that happen? And I want to close by giving you some practical hints as to how to up your worship of Jesus. Are you okay with that? Uh, Number one, I would say, by the way, I didn't give this to the other services, so this is the secret sauce, okay? (laughs) Number one, you have to decide what you believe. You can't be schizophrenic. Say, well, I kind of believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that he's amazing, did all this stuff, but what I really love is shuffleboard. You know, I just, I just, I just think shuffleboard is so worthy of it, whatever. Some of you are saying, I don't even know what shuffleboard is. Uh, so you really have to pull your life together. And of course, you, you probably think March Madness is definitely worthy. Uh, this restaurant is definitely worthy. That car is definitely worthy. But in your totem pole of worth, who is it that's on the top? Is Jesus just one player in the field, or is he numero uno that you pivot and build your life around? Do you believe that? And there's a day of reckoning. And what better day than Palm Sunday to reboot and say, Jesus, you're it. You are worthy. Secondly, I need daily to reboot. I don't know about you. You probably are amazing, but I... I reboot every now and then, and then daily I reboot. I wake up in the morning, I get my coffee, and I read the scriptures, maybe just a psalm, and I say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jesus, that's who you are. Oh, do this for me. And I pray to him. It's, it's, it's worth ship again. What I'm doing is informing my soul of what I determine is valuable before I go out the door. Are you with me? Then I do what he asked me to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. And I say, what do you want me to do? And he says, try to love those people and, and the, the people sitting next to you. Love one another. Aye, aye, sir. So when I'm loving you and you're loving me, we're loving this world. We're worshiping the one who has asked us to do all of that. And this becomes like a flywheel in a car. I don't know if they have flywheels in cars anymore, but uh, that, that keep your engine going. You've already redecided what, what you worship in life, what's valuable, and you build your life around it. And that's the Christian life. That's the life of worship. It's not too far afield from when you meet a friend or you meet your lover who's going to become your spouse, what you do is you meet that person, you say, huh, you're not so bad after all. Uh, I think I might want to invest in you. Uh, You want to hang out. You want to get some coffee. You want to go get a meal. And you go and get a coffee and get a meal and say, whoa, you're really not so bad. You know, you want to do this again, and you invest again. And you say, wow, we kind of liked hanging out. You want to talk till 2 a.m. tonight on the phone? And you invest again, invest again, invest again. What you're declaring is value. Wow. 
good investment, value, 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 will make a great friend or make, uh, will make my future spouse. And so you invest. Well, that's the way we do with God. You meet him, you think, wow, okay. And you discover, oh, wow, this is not just becoming a church person. This is discovering forgiveness. Hello? All of your sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Is that valuable? I, I think so. Anybody? Because of Easter, Resurrection Day, new life is promised. You don't have to be the old you anymore. You can become a new person through the power of Jesus Christ. Is that valuable? And if you don't think that's valuable, your spouse does. The idea of you becoming a new you. Is it valuable that you would live forever? A forever you into eternity and have... Wow, this is getting better and better. Is it valuable to you that you have a family, a forever family? Imperfect, ugly at times, the church that... that would love us and stand with us through thick and thin. Wow. And is it valuable for you to have the face of God forever? God, you, and Jesus loving each other forever. And this is all because of Jesus. Worth, value. In just a moment, we're gonna pray. And what I want you to, to contemplate is the spending of your heart. You've been spending, your whole life, you've been spending your heart on things, on ideas, on whatever. And what I want you to, compl- to contemplate is uh, you, you only got so many years to spend on this, this planet, little buddy. And what are you going to spend the rest of your days on? That bag, your heart, needs to be spent on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for Palm Sunday and that original celebration that we get to tag on and be a part of. We say to you this morning, Hosanna. Blessed are you, Jesus. You are the king. And Lord, we tell you that we want to grow up and be like Mary. And so this morning, we determine, we take stock of our lives. We look at the ledger and what we think, at least through our time, energy, and money, we say is valuable. And Lord, we want to tell you that you are of ultimate worth. And we join the angels in heaven saying, worthy, worthy, worthy. So, Lord, this day, by your Holy Spirit, reboot us. Point us to true north, that we might live our lives as true humans, made in the image of God, pursuing after you, because you're so worthy. God, we pray that this would not only be in our worship 
services, but this would spill out into our daily lives as we are tethered in our hearts to you. At the end of the day, Lord, we want to spend our hearts on you. This morning while we're praying, while our heads are bowed, I realize that there's some of us here that this is like your original reboot, that you've actually never taken the step to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you did a long time ago, but you realize that he's standing there knocking on the door of your heart, and you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus he does love you. He did die for you. He, he does forgive you. And he did rise again from the dead to make a way for you to become a new you. And so this morning, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that's you this morning, it's ready to take that step and become a follower of Jesus. I want you to raise your hand where you are. The rest are just going to keep their heads bowed and eyes closed and keep praying. Please keep praying. But if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand where you are and just hold it up high so, yeah, God bless you. And uh, when you raise your hand, you might want to just look up at me so you see I'm acknowledging you. Yeah, God bless you and God bless you. Way in the back against the wall, a couple of you back there. Thank you. Yeah, God bless you. Anyone else? You need to know that heaven is rejoicing right now. If you wonder what it's like, it's, it's like coming home. It's like being homesick and finally coming home to what you've always known in your heart to be true. Anyone else? Yeah, God bless you. If you raise your hand this morning, I want you to quietly in your heart pray this prayer as I pray it out loud. Lord, come into my life. Today is surrender day. And I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe that forgiveness of sins is now offered to me. And I believe that you rose again from the dead to give me new life. And because I believe this, Lord, now come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me new. For from this day forward, I am yours. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of yours, Jesus. And I pray this In your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Let's welcome those that raise their hands and let's stand. Can we stand? At the close of this service, we're going to have one more song where we worship. So don't run away. We're going to worship. But before we do, just let me remind you that... uh, uh, There'll be people up here in front that want to pray for you. Uh, you have back aches, pocketbook aches, people aches, whatever, whatever your problem is, we want to pray for you because we believe God's involved in our lives. Also want to encourage you, if, if you raised your hand, 
uh, we have a packet to help you get started in your new reboot of following Jesus. You can pick that up here in front with the people that are praying, or you can pick it up at Guest Central out in the patio. Uh, you know, guys, this is an incredible week. This is an incredible week. And your friends and neighbors want to know the same Jesus you know. They're a little more open on Easter. So invite them. Invite them for Good Friday. Invite them for Easter, any of the services. Here's my experience. When you invite someone, 3.5 people out of 10 will say yes. Don't ask me about the 0.5. So why not? Let's worship. Death could not hold you Veil torn before you You silence the boast Of sin and grave The heavens are roaring The praise of your glory For you are raised to life again As you have no We'll be gathering this Friday, uh, both downtown San Diego at the AME Church. Love to see you there. Usually one third of the church is us. It's, it's kind of a fun thing. Uh, and, but you got to be ready. It's a two and a half hour service. 
so uh, don't drink a lot of water. And, um, but there is a, there is a halftime break, so d- don't worry about that. But uh, it, you'll hear uh, six amazing preachers, and, and then me. Uh, and it's the seven last words of Jesus. I've been going down there for almost 20 years, and they keep having me back. And I don't know, um, but it's like a second family to me. Would love to have you be with us. Uh, and then Friday night, we're right here. Um, considering forgiveness, this deep mystery. The psalmist said, but with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, we are in awe. The one person who's perfect, who need not forgive, does. Aren't you glad? So we'll be considering that, and then Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday, uh, new life in Jesus Christ. So bring a friend. So may God be with you this week. May God lift up his face and shine it on you. May you discover more his love for you, his forgiveness new beginnings in your life and may he give you eyes to see opportunities around you people that need that same love and you step out in faith to love someone the way God has loved you I pray for that in Jesus name and all God's people said amen God bless you thanks for listening this week If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.